This is What Book Hooked You. I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. On today's episode, I'm excited to have back on the podcast Alan Gratz, who did this podcast three and a half years ago for a book that he had coming out called Refugee. And if you've uh, been involved uh, with middle grade books, you know that that, that was, became a huge book uh, talking about uh, different types of refugees uh, across the world and across time. And so he's out with a new book called Ground Zero, all about uh, both the events of 9-11 in New York and uh, the events of, of the war in Afghanistan. So it was great to catch up with Alan about the success that Refugee had and uh, this newest book that I had a chance to get to read ahead of time and, and we really dive into it. So I hope you enjoy it. Listen in. So Alan, talking to you again after three and a half years, uh, when we first talked, it was before uh, Refugee came out. And obviously since then, in the years that's passed, that book uh, has been vastly popular. So I just want to start off by uh, welcoming you back and and getting your thoughts on how that whole your whole experience with refugee has been uh, and how people have have uh, really embraced that book. Yeah, thanks, Brock. I'm, I'm glad to be back. And uh, yeah, I, I was looking back at our previous podcast and saw that it was uh, right when refugee was coming out. And boy, what a three three and a half years it's been since refugee came out. Um, that Refugee was my first book to ever hit the New York Times bestseller list. Um, it was my first book and only book so far to be chosen for the World Read Aloud Day, which was a big deal. Uh, students and teachers all around the world read Refugee and then got together on Skype and Zoom and discussed the book uh, with classrooms you know, that, that, that were in other countries. So that was really amazing. Um, and Refugee just continues to uh, live a life of its own. Uh, even without me out there talking about it, because we're all stuck at home right now, um, it's been on the the bestseller list for two years, uh, more than two years now, and um, it's a testament to the teachers who are still um, putting it in kids' hands, the librarians who are still uh, recommending it to kids, and parents who are finding it and reading it with their kids. And that's that. I think there's so many gratifying things that have happened over the last three years because of refugee. Um, the, the number of parents who've gotten in touch and said, my, my, my son, my daughter brought this book to me, said I had to read it. We read it. I read it. I, I loved it. We read it together. Then we talked about it. I love those conversations that are happening. Um, I've had classrooms write to me and say, we, we, we love this book and we've written to our congressperson and we're, we're advocating for refugee aid and refugee rights here in the United States and more refugees to be allowed in the United States. Um, people have written to me with the, uh, the kids who have done fundraising for UNICEF. Uh, one kid who said, I don't want any holiday presents this year. I want, I want all my friends and family to give to UNICEF uh, because of what I read. I mean, so stories like that that have just been really amazing. Um, I continue to talk about refugee, you know, in, in Zooms and, and Skypes and, and podcasts um, and, and try to get the word out. And, and, but, um, but people are finding the book. They're seeking it out. Um, and it's, it's been a real thrill for me because the whole reason I wrote Refugee was to shine a light on the plight of refugees past and present. Mm-hmm. And it's doing that. Um, that you know, I, I'm doing other things personally that I can to help refugees. But, but the, the one thing I do 
best maybe is write books. Uh, and, and so being able to use um, what talent I have to do that, to help bring attention to that situation and then, and, and, and have people who are working for change has been amazing. Great. And Refugee, you know, you had an, an established career as a writer before this book came out. And then to have this just take off the way it did is that something like, has it been a kind of a whirlwind for you? Have you been able to kind of accept the attention of the praise or do you kind of separate yourself and say like the praise and the, and all of that goes to the book and to the, to the topic that address and are, are, do you have sometimes problems like with any kind of praise and accolades that are kind of heaped on you? Sure. I get it. Like it was my 13th book. So that's how many books I'd written before right. refugee. Uh, and I think I've written now, uh, three books since then. Uh, and um, it, it, it definitely has been the biggest book that I've ever written in terms of its impact and, um, and the number of readers that it has. Uh, and, and it may well be the biggest book uh, that I ever write. Um, will it be the best book? I, I hope that every time I write a new book, I get better and better. Right. Um, I, I'm at least trying to. Uh, that's a personal goal is to be better each time. Um, and so like, no, on the, it, it feels a little um, prideful to say it, but, hmm. but I feel like I kind of, I, 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 I earned it success. And what I mean, is, and what I, I want to qualify that, sure. what I mean is I worked really hard to better myself as a writer with every book that I wrote. So I look back now and I love my very first book, Samurai Shortstop, but it is, it's not the best book I could have written. And I've written many better books since then. I still love it but I've gotten better and better each time. And I could not have written Refugee when I when the year that I wrote Samurai Shortstop. I just couldn't possibly have done it. I wasn't a good enough writer back then. Uh, and, and so I feel like all the work that I put in to get to that point as a writer, that I earned the, the chance to put that book together, if that makes sense, the, sure. the, the, and the skills to put that book together. And, and um, it, it sounds, again, very prideful to say that, but I, but I feel like I've been working, I've been working up to that moment for so long. And now with each new book I write, certainly everything is going to be compared to Refugee. Um, it, it's one of those big, you know, like, like Lewis Saker writing Holes. I mean, I, my, my book is not nearly as good as Holes, but, but, but I'm just saying like, you know, you, you look back at a person, Lewis Saker wrote tons of books before mm -hmm. that, and he's written more books since, but a lot of people only know him for, for Holes. And so, um, no, it's, it's the kind of thing where I, I, I'm just really glad I had one book break out. I mean, I'm sure. thrilled. <laughs> I could have gone a whole career. Uh, and, and you're right. I'm, I, I, had a, I had a good career and a solid career, and I was making a living as a writer. And that was always the goal. And what the, the, the hope, the dream beyond that was maybe one of these breaks out and becomes that book that like is just a perennial seller that kids are reading again and again and again, year in and year out. And uh, fingers crossed, Refugee mm -hmm. will be that book. Uh, I would love to say that if we uh, you know, solve the, the refugee problems in the world, my book goes away and I'll be very happy for that to happen. Um, unfortunately, with the way things have proven themselves in history, I, I don't know that that's going to happen anytime soon, um, but that would be fantastic. I would love for this book to not be relevant. I would love for this book to, to, not, uh, to not sell anymore because the world is a better place. So I would take that too. Um, but as long as it is a problem, I'm glad the book is out there and, and kids are reading it. And hopefully as they get older and, and they move into positions where they can make more changes as adults, they'll do something more about it than we've done. Great, that's wonderful.
And uh, from this book and from uh, just your career, you've, you've probably been used to um, doing a lot of school visits uh, and getting to talk about your books and especially talk about refugee. Obviously, past nine months, uh, recording this in December, that hasn't been possible. So what has that been like, given that you've almost had a routine or, or a habit of you know, being in front of your readers and getting to interact with them and now having to do Zoom and things like that? How have you adjusted with that? Yeah, I, um, I've been doing school visits. Uh, I, I did my very first school visits for Samurai Shortstop. Um, that, that book came out in 2006. So um, 14 years doing their math right uh, of, uh, of doing school visits. And um, now with the pandemic, the, all that has ended. Um, last school year, bef like bef the, the last full school year, I did 100 school visits mm -hmm. um, and was gone a lot of the year, uh, mm -hmm. a lot of overnights and, and visiting many schools, some places for an entire week at a time. Um, and so it's definitely changed to, I, I now get um, lots and lots of requests to visit individual classrooms uh, mm -hmm. for Zoom visits. Uh, and I can't do all of them. Sure. I, I've told, I, there's just no way I can do that and, and, and also write books at the same time. So as a compromise, what I've done, because I still wanna be talking to students. Um, once a month, I've been doing a free uh, online event. I do it through a service called Crowdcast. And uh, I set it up usually uh, with a partner bookstore, uh, trying to help independent bookstores who've also been struggling through this crisis. Uh, and um, I will, uh, th they'll invite a lot of the schools from their area, like Little Shop of Stories in, in Decatur, Georgia, or the Country Bookshop in Southern Pines. And they'll invite a lot of the schools to, to join in on the chat. But then also anybody in the US or around the world really can, can tune in because I've just put up the link, you know, the time on my, uh, on my website. So once a month I do these, the last one we did, we have, had over a thousand kids wow. on the call. And I think some of those were classrooms. And so mm -hmm. some of those might've been 30 or 40 kids at a pop. Um, but we had 30, I guess, so I guess we had a thousand people on there, um, most of them kids, but some, some uh, parents and teachers. Um, so I'm trying to do that. So they still hear me talking about the books. They can ask me questions. It's not the same as doing a live in-person event. Um, there's, there's nothing that can replace that energy um, that special connection that you can make with kids. Um, so that's disappointing, obviously, but we're all doing what we can, uh, you know, isolating and, and, and uh, staying socially distant is, is a way we're going to beat this. And so um, it's, it's been a way for me to, to, to get that message out too, to say, hey, we're, do we're all doing the right thing, but here we are online and we can chat for an hour and let's talk about books. So I've continued to try and do one big free event and if anybody's listening to this, uh, even months later after we first recorded it, check my website. See, I, I think I may still be doing these for a long time, even after we're able to get back to the regular swing of things. They've been so successful. So that's my hope is that I'm still able to connect at least virtually. It's different, but we're trying to find ways to reach a lot of kids. That's great. And so let's transition to your newest book, Ground Zero. Sure. A uh, lot to talk about there. So first, I'll let you tell us what this book is about. Sure. So Ground Zero is a story of 9-11. And it is the story of two different kids in two different times in two different places, uh, borrowing a page a little bit from, from the way I structured Refugee. Uh, the first is nine-year-old Brandon. He, uh, has, he's gotten into trouble at school. He, he's 
um, he, he got into a fight with a bully at, at school and he's been suspended and he has to go into work with his dad uh, because th th they live together alone. The, it's just the two of them. There's nobody to take care of him. So he has to go in with his work to his, with his dad to work that day. And it happens to be September 11th. 2001 and his dad works at Windows on the World at the very top of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. And Brandon is in the, 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 the North Tower when the first plane hits. And he has to not only try and survive, but also see if he can get to his dad and, and help his dad escape as well. And the second story in there takes place, it is close to the present day as I could get it while I was writing it. It takes place in 2019, on September 11th, 2019. And it's about Reshmina, who is an 11-year-old girl living in Afghanistan. And she's experiencing her own 9-11, uh, her own version of 9-11, if you will, uh, when her village becomes a battleground between the United States and the Taliban. She and her family take a wounded American soldier into their home to protect him. Uh, but her twin brother, Pasoon, uh, blames the Americans for their older sister's death in a drone strike. And he runs away to tell the Taliban uh, and, and now Reshmina has to chase after him and try and stop him uh, or else the, if he gets the Taliban first, they'll, they'll come back and, and, and kill the, the, the American soldier and, and probably everybody else in the village for harboring him. So the, I tell these two stories, I, I, I weave the two stories together so you get a chapter from Brandon and a chapter from Reshmina all the way out. Um, so you can see the parallels in those days, but also uh, they're connected uh, much as I connected my characters in Refugee and um, I, I wanted to show not only what happened on September 11th, 2001, but also what's happened ever since then. And one of the big, big things that's happened is we're still fighting the war in Afghanistan uh, 20 years later. Um, this book, uh, Ground Zero, is a book that a lot of kids asked me to write. I, when I was on those school visits, kids would say, we write something about 9-11, we write something about 9-11. And I I thought about writing about 9-11 even before kids started asking me about it, but sometimes it was too soon. Uh, even sure. 10 years after 9-11, I was still, I wanted to write about it, but it was like, it's still too soon for me. I mean, I, I wasn't in New York. I, mm -hmm. um, on 9-11, I was a, a, an eighth grade English teacher and, and I lived in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is where I'm from originally. I was teaching eighth grade and I remember that day we pulled all the kids out of class and we went in the gym and we watched on televisions uh, as we tried to figure out what was going on, you know, and um, the shock and horror of that day. And, and, and then the fallout beyond that, the, 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 the fear of, are we at war? Who are we at war with? Is, is somebody else going to attack us? What, what, why did this happen? what comes next you know we didn't have social media we didn't have twitter or facebook or anything back then so we were just asking our friends and family and and the person next to you um it was a really scary time and i and i wanted to get a little of that across for kids who didn't live through that um middle school readers <laughs> um they were all born after 9 11. Sure. my daughter is a freshman in college and she was born the year after 9 11. so uh, the, 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 the shocker for those adults who are listening to your podcast is this is historical fiction. Uh, at least that side of the story is for kids. Um, and uh, next year, 2021 is the 20 year anniversary of nine 11. It's, it feels like it was yesterday and, and, and like it was a, a million years ago in some ways, both. Um, so I was a little too close to it to try and write about mm -hmm. it to begin with. And, I also didn't know how I could tackle it. 
I could have told a story just about that day, sure. just about 9-11. But I worried that if I did that, it wouldn't encompass all the changes in the United States and the world since then. And I was talking to my editor about this when we, 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 she mentioned to me, she's like, hey, have you ever thought about writing a book about 9-11? I'm like, well, yeah, a lot. <laughs> and a lot of kids have asked me about this. And I told her my, my previous troubles coming at it. Um, and I also told her, look, if I write a book just about that day, the way I wrote about uh, D-Day and Allies, if I just focus on one day, it doesn't talk about what's happened since then. And, and that's, that's a lot more of the story than just that day. And that's where Reshmina's story comes in. Uh, I realized it, I needed to tell something in the present so we'd have a little bit of perspective on the past. Mm, yes, and I'm the father of two middle schoolers. So yeah. I've had to experience like them kind of taking in everything that's happened. I kind of related to, I think we're, we might be close in age, like Vietnam for us. It was obviously right. a big cultural thing, but it was kind of historical for us growing up. And right. I think, uh, I, think I was, generation. I think I was born, I think we were still in Vietnam when I was born, but I was so young that by the time I knew, by the time I heard the, the term Vietnam, I think we were already out of Vietnam. And like I, before, it, when, when I was old enough to understand what it was, sure. it was already something that happened before my memory. And so, yeah, I think it's very much the same. Um, you know, and, and I, we, we look back at things like World War II and, and Vietnam and, and those feel like the distant past to us, but we have to remember that for middle school kids, anything before they were born feels like sure. the distant past to them too. Um, so I, I really wanted to write something that, that tackled that for that age group. Hmm. Yeah, and 9-11, it was my final year of college. And so uh, something I remember well, and I think I went through a phase a couple years back where I read the 9-11 commission report I would mm. watch, you yeah. can go on YouTube and watch in real time the, the morning news shows today as everything unfolded. Um, so when you kind of approached, uh, first kind of focusing on, uh, you know, New York City and what happened there, when you're, what kind of, how did you go into the research or what did you really kind of focus on with your research uh, when trying to come up with a fictionalized story about that day? Yeah, it, it was it was tough. Like, where do I start? There's so much that's been written. There's so much that's been filmed and, and, and recorded about this. We have video from that day, you know, unlike, unlike things like D-Day where they may have a few pictures, still shots. Um, we've got people's, you know, hand recorded video of the planes hitting the buildings. And um, it was incredibly well covered, even though we didn't have social media, we have a lot of documentation about it. Um, and, you know, it's funny how you let off by talking about how you took a deep dive into 9-11 yourself. Um, going into this project, that was something that was also daunting. The number of Americans who know an, ex I mean, a, 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 an extensive amount of material about 9-11, just out of personal interest and personal um, exploration. So like that was daunting too. I knew I was, and I'm not one of those folks. I, it had... It had scared me and scarred me in such a way that, yes, I mean, I, I, I'd read about it and I had learned about it, but I didn't do that deep dive that you and, and, and some other folks definitely have, um, where um, I think there are some people who, who became sort of amateur experts on 9-11. And I knew going into this that I was going to be, that my book would be read against that, that knowledge that people have. So that was daunting. Um, I read a lot of books. Uh, I read, uh, but, but the, the biggest thing for me was the firsthand accounts 
especially from people who were in the Twin Towers or at Ground Zero when it happened. Um, those were the things that really drove my story. I looked for things that really happened to people in the Twin Towers. And um, so while this is a fictional account, everything that Brandon sees and does is something that happened to somebody else in either the North or the South Tower that day. Um, there were so many astounding things, and I say that uh, not in a positive way. I mean, so many, so many um, startling things, so many horrifying things that happened. I didn't, there was no need to make anything up. Uh, I certainly made up the characters, mm -hmm. uh, but even down to the names of companies uh, on the different floors, I knew I had to get stuff like that right. There are people who know. Um, there are people who know what, what floors were hit and, and what businesses were on, and, and were on those floors. Um, so, and, and exactly what time things happened. I, I had a, a real uh, rigorous timetable set up for this happens at this point and this happens at this point and he would have this much time to get here and this much time to get here. I had schematics of the elevators mm -hmm. in the building that I was working from to know, you know where the express elevators were and where the local elevators were. Um, I had layouts of Windows on the World, the restaurant at the top. Um, sometimes I would make little changes like putting the kitchen, which was on the 106th floor, on the 107th floor. But then I, I copped to that in the author's note. I say, I know, I know. I, I put that in one place together because I wanted to get this, I wanted to have his dad in the kitchen and for having to run in there and see his dad. Um, but I knew that I had to be really particular about all those things because of the, the depth of knowledge that many Americans have about 9-11. And it seems like then it would be a very, you know, in the same book, you have the other side of the coin where it's Afghanistan, there's not a, maybe not a singular event that you have to address. So how did you approach that since it's a very different uh, task at, at writing a story uh, yeah. from that perspective? Yeah, it's really different to write about something, especially that's still currently happening. Um, at least, the, you know, I could say, okay, uh, when I started writing it, I, I'd said, I'm, I'm going to pick this point in, in time, like last month when I started writing it, and this will be the month that I focus on. Um, but the war in Afghanistan has been going on for so long that there are actually books about it. I mean, a, a, a bookshelf of books you can you can buy on this. Um, unlike something like the the Syrian refugee crisis, which to be fair, has been going on for almost 10 years now. Um, but, uh, but when I wrote about it, had not been going on quite that long. And, um, and I was using magazine articles to write refugee for the, for the contemporary stuff. But I still leaned really heavily on magazine reporting and newspaper reporting, uh, on, on uh, radio reporting, like from NPR, uh, stuff from Al Jazeera for, for video and audio, um, because they are th those are the folks who are on the ground and have been since that war started and who've been covering it since then. But there were a number of books that I was able to read. Uh, I, uh, because of my work uh, on refugee uh, and my support of UNICEF, I've become a, um, so, uh, a, a partner with UNICEF. I, I'm always trying to get the word out about them and get people to donate to UNICEF because they're doing amazing things for kids, especially refugee kids. And um, because of that contact, I was able to actually talk with the UNICEF team in Afghanistan who were on the ground uh, right when I was writing the book to find out what was going on there right then. So uh, Afghanistan is not a country I, I'm going to travel to. It is um, number one or two, depending on what year um, you look at, for the most dangerous country in the world right now. So that is definitely not on the top of my travel list once mm -hmm. the pandemic ends. Um, so I had to get my access to Afghanistan 
uh, through other things, through, through those people who have been um, brave enough to, to go in there and, and do the reporting and the, and the writing about what they're doing. So for that, I was looking at, um, I was looking at, 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 at things that, that, that were reported to have happened over the last really 10 years in Afghanistan. And then I had to be careful to make sure that um, because we, we've had a troop drawdown and, mm-hmm. and there's a different level of involvement there. And there, there was a time when the Korengal Valley was an incredible, um, it was a hot spot. And um, it, it's not now we've withdrawn from the Korengal. So I had to be careful about what I was reading and where I was placing it. Um, that was tricky too. I, I've done the best I can. What I hope I've done is uh, represent what the war has been like for the last at least 10 years, if not the first 10 years of the war, because that is, that's now so distant past for this war. I, I don't, that, that's unfair to say of a 20 year time period, but, um, but trying to, to try and keep most of the things that I was doing uh, more recent, most of the events I was using as the basis for my, for my fiction recent. Uh, it was still tough. Uh, and, and it's, um, look, there's not, there's not, there's not, not a lot of Afghans writing about Afghanistan right mm-hmm. now. They're, they're more worried about surviving. And so it's those perspectives from the outside that I had to rely on. Sure. And, you know, with this book and, and similarly with Refugee, you know, but thinking about this book, there are elements where because you are basing these on real events, there are some very graphic and tragic things that happen during the course of the story. So when you're trying to include and address things like that while keeping in mind uh, your intended audience for the book of, of middle schoolers, do you ever how do you kind of weigh how much to include when it comes yeah, to Yeah, it's always like tough. And my editor and I have, um, I won't say battles. My editor is Amy Friedman. She's amazing at Scholastic. Um, and, and I'm really lucky to have her. She makes all my books uh, a thousand times better. Um, and so I, I say this with love, but, but, we, but we do, we do um, butt heads on this all the time. And, and, and it's her job to say, Alan, rein it in. Uh, and it's my job to push back and say, no, 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 but, but, but. And then we meet in the middle and I think we end up better for it uh, both ways. Um, I always want to put um, the hard stuff in there. I think that um, middle schoolers are a savvy lot. I think that they, we always want to protect kids. And I put protect in, in air quotes um, because I don't think that books hurt kids. I don't think that they can hurt kids unless you throw them at, at them and, and you shouldn't do that. Um, but, uh, but reading a book, I don't think hurts a kid. I think it only helps. And, um, but we, we want to maintain childhood innocence, a lot of us, for as long as we can. And I get that. But my counter argument is that middle schoolers today don't have the luxury of, of just focusing on the home and the school and their community anymore that the world is coming at them. They've been going through active shooter drills since they were in kindergarten. They hear racist and intolerant stuff from political leaders on the news. They have refugees as classmates. So they're hearing those stories uh, up up close and personal from their classmates. Uh, They may have been participating in Black Lives Matter marches uh, over the last few months. They, They are becoming more and more aware of the world because the world's coming at them. And I think they have a lot of questions about that. And sometimes they have parents that they can turn to and sometimes they have teachers and librarians they can turn to, but sometimes a pl- good place to, 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 to dive into those, those different arenas and to learn more and to start building an opinion as a young person is a book. It's certainly a safe place to do it because you're not on the front lines, literally in the middle of that. You can read about what's going on 
and, and then start to process that information in your own time. Um, and, and kids are good at self-censoring. I've met so many kids who are, who, who tell me they've read some, one of my books or somebody else's books and they, they skim over the parts that are too hard for them. Uh, unlike a TV show or a movie that you don't have to, you know, see it. Um, you, and, and that's the other concession that I make as an author to get back to your, to your original real question. Um, the only concession I make as an author is I try not to go into extraordinarily gory or visceral detail. Now, I will tell you something that happens, and you, you've read Ground Zero. You know there's a, there's a few things uh, that, that you may even be thinking, boy, you could have gone more, and I, and I definitely could have gone more. Um, I wrote a book about the Holocaust, about uh, Prisoner B3087, and um, there, it was an incredibly horrible event, and, and, and Jack Gruner saw some really, really terrifying things. And I want to put those in the book. What I didn't have to do, I could say there was a stack of bodies, but I don't have to describe them in graphic detail. I can say a kid comes out of the hospital tent and that they've done medical experimentation on him, but I don't have to show it being done. Um, so in Ground Zero, um, there were people who were horribly burned. Um, there, we had burning jet fuel dripping through that building and the people who were uh, closest to those impact zones um, if they didn't die right away, they could very easily be burned very badly uh, and still be alive with those burns. And I wanted to show that. Uh, I, wanted to, I wanted the kids to know that happened. But then how, what level of, to what degree do I show that? That's always the battle that Amy and I fight. <laughs> I, I always want to describe things a little bit more and she coaches me to pull back on the description. But the thing that we both agree on is that it should be in there. And I think that if you sugarcoat things for kids, they can smell you coming a mile away. <laughs> they know when you're, when, when you're trying to, to when, you, when you put the kid gloves on and they don't want that. They want verisimilitude. They want to hear the truth. They want to read the truth. Um, and um, they, whether they could, I, I, but I don't want to give them nightmares. And there's no reason to place the, the burdens of the entire world on a sixth grader's shoulders right now. Let's give them a small break, right? Um, but I, but I, so I want to answer those questions about what happened and how bad was it, but I also don't want to lump everything on them so that it just, just, just crushes them. So there is a fine balance uh, and, and I hope I strike it. I hope I strike it. And kind of going off, uh, you know, because you have interacted so much uh, with kids uh, when talking about refugee and we'll be doing the same with ground zero, you have obviously question and answer time where they're going to ask you questions probably about your writing process, but also about the topics. And so when you're researching a book, do you have to do more than just research for the book? Do you have to research beyond that just so you can be able to feel these questions about the refugee situation, about what happened on 9-11, about the Afghanistan war, when you're in those situations uh, with your readers? Absolutely. And this is another challenge of writing uh, these kind of books for kids is when I go into a school situation or I'm doing a Zoom visit or something like that, um, I, I'm expected oftentimes not just to be an expert on my own book, but on the whole topic. And um, I, I often, like I, I just did a, a Zoom that was really great with the, the National World War II Museum in New Orleans a, a couple of months ago. And we did it focused on Allies, my D-Day book. And um, when I was talking to the museum coordinator for it, they're like, yeah, will you come on and talk a little bit about D-Day and, and then we'll get to some Q&A. And I was like, okay, I'm happy to do that. 
but I know you guys know more about D-Day than I do, right? You're the National World War II Museum, right? So I can tell you about the D-Day stuff that I learned and put in my book, but I'm sure there's so much more. I mean, look, it takes me about um, a, a little less than two years to write a book. That includes coming up with the idea and doing the research and doing the outline and doing the writing. And then the biggest part of it, the revision over and over and over again. But I probably spend um, three or four months just doing research. Okay. And that's full time. That's me here in my office, just reading books, taking notes, do, you know, doing the research. That's enough for me to be able to write a novel, but three or four months of research. I mean, there's people who make they dedicate their lives mm. to these kind of things, these subjects. Sure. You know, there are professors and, and people who work at museums and, and they are, and there, and there are lay people who, who spend their entire lives reading about a topic as we talked about with nine 11. So uh, it's, I, I learn as much as I can to tell that story. Uh, there's a lot of stuff I will never know about a time and a place because I just didn't find it in a book in the four months that I spent researching. So you're right, though. I have to learn as much as I can because beyond that, when I was talking about refugee with kids, I'll, I'll get asked, what can we do to help refugees? Okay, well, I need to have some resources available for because I want. that's one of the things I want kids to do for my book. So I don't want to be just like, I don't know figured out, you know, I want to, I want to help kids with that. Um, I, you know, uh, when I talk about D-Day, they always want to know more about the context of it and what came before it, and what came after it, even though mine was about that day. And then with, with something, um, I remember with refugee for, for years in my school visit talk, I had a secret hidden page that I could click on that talked about the steps that the United States makes, uh, refugees go through to come to the United States as official refugees, the, the, the legal route mm-hmm. to becoming a refugee to the United States. And it's like a, an 11 step process. And, but I'd have kids say, you know, are the, what about these, what about these refugees who come in bringing uh, diseases? I got a question like that once. And I said, well, you know, let me go to this and show you the place where they get medically tested. And, and, and that's not a thing. Like th- that's, that's mm-hmm. not a thing that's happening. You may have heard that, but, but this isn't a re- real situation uh, because we're, we're screening everybody step after step after step. That's not part of my book, but it's something that I wanted to be ready to answer. Just one of the many, many questions kids would throw at me. So for Ground Zero, yeah, I've, I've had to learn a lot more about the war in Afghanistan and a lot more about 9-11. You know, I don't cover the, the Pentagon uh, mm-hmm. uh, being hit by a plane. I don't cover the plane that came down in Pennsylvania. I, I mentioned those at the very end, but I don't show those. Those are not scenes that we see. And so I have to know more about those because those are a part of the larger story of 9-11. I know all about who the hijackers were and where they came from and how they got on those planes and what they did on those planes. I don't show that in this book because it has to be Brandon in that building surviving. He doesn't have that perspective, mm-hmm. but I do because I needed to know it to write the, to, to, to know the larger context, but also to answer questions. Sure. And for your research for this book, is there one thing that kind of stands out as something that you found kind of really interesting or really you know, spectacular, just really stood out to you uh, from diving into to the topics for this one? Yeah. So, you know, on the Afghanistan side, uh, I'll have to say that I didn't know anything about Pashtun Wali before I began writing this book. And Pashtun Wali is um, sort of the way of the Pashtun. And it's a, it's a, a moral code that the the Pashtun people who are uh, who live uh, in that border region between Afghanistan and Pakistan really you could have a place 
there, there are people who, who say that there should be a country for Pashtun people themselves. Uh, these, these lines of the countries were arbitrarily drawn post-World War One, Two, post-World War Two, and um, the Pashtun people got split up between different countries. And this region uh, really has its own character beyond what its other national characters are back in the capitals. And um, learning more about the Pashtun people and learning more about the language of Pashto and, and Pashtun Wali, which is this, um, this sort of ethical code or moral code, I, I didn't know any of that. And I was really fascinated to learn that uh, and, and to put that into Reshmina's story. Um, in in 9-11, uh, what happened here in the United States, gosh, as I said, I had not taken that deep, deep dive that you and other people have. Uh, I knew the the larger facts uh, from the outside. I, did, I had never really um, seen things from the inside. Um, to, to know that there were people, you know, who saw those planes coming in, to know that there were people who were trapped above the, the planes and um, desperately trying to get out. In the South Tower, I did not know uh, that there was some people who were above the plane strikes actually got out. Uh, there was one stairwell that was not destroyed in the South Tower. And I think something like 17 people found it. Uh, and there were still dozens more who didn't find it. Um, the, there, were, there were little details. Uh, when, the, when the first plane hit, the, the blast from it was channeled down through the elevator shafts and actually blew the doors out to the mall in the under the underground mall. Like the blast was so fierce and went so far to, down those elevator shafts that it blew out the doors and and scorched the the, the underground mall a hundred floors below. Um, and uh, th things like that 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 the the scope of it uh, was really just stunning to me. Um, uh, that's just a couple of things right off the top of my head. There were so many other surprises um, to me uh, of, of the things that people had to do to survive mm -hmm. uh, and the heroism that was shown just the, 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 the just for, for their fellow people, not, not just the police and firemen uh, who, who went up while everybody else were going down and, and they were amazing, but the, the, the people who just were, uh, who worked in the building, who helped each other. Um, you know, we often think of New York as, as uh, uh, people who are um, a, a little rough and, and, mm -hmm. uh, and tough, uh, but, but boy, they came together on 9-11. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, this has been great. So I want to wrap up just with one final question. That's not necessarily about the book, but when it comes to your reading life, what is the last great book that you've read? Okay, uh, so I think my favorite book from this year has been Here in the Real World by Sarah Pennypacker. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this book, but it's really, really great. Um, it's loosely the story, it's not loosely, it is the story of a boy who is sent to um, a, 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 a summer, not summer camp, but uh, like at his community center, basically like babysitting. He's in sixth grade, so he feels like he's old enough to stay home. His parents disagree uh, just out of an abundance of caution. And um, so he goes to this and it's really soul sucking. And, um, and he, he finds a place next door uh, that's an old abandoned lot and uh, an old church that's, that's falling apart. And he and another kid who's found it from a different, for a different reason, the two of them kind of make this their magical summer 
retreat. Mm. Uh, and instead of going to the, to the community center summer camp, he, he just bails on it. They don't really care if he comes or goes. And he spends the time over there crafting this this place. And it's it's not exactly like Bridge to Terabithia. It's not like building a fantasy place. They're actually physically like planting things and, and creating art and in and in their own way and, and 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 rebuilding parts of it, not in a not in an effective structural way, but in a way that kids would. Mm. And it, it's it, I love this story for a few reasons. It, it sounds uh, uh, I've, I've just told you the, the plot <laughs> as it is, and, and it's not really much of a plot. Um, but what I love about it is that um, for, for one thing, I think that kids, I think that, that today's kids don't have as many of those places that are exclusively theirs as I did when I was a kid and maybe you did when you were a kid. When I was a kid, we, I lived in a subdivision in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I still, you left that subdivision and it was just fields full of cows and forests. And we would leave that subdivision and we would go miles away from home. I mean, my neighbor's dad had this whistle that was piercing and we would hear that. Or when the sun went down, we knew it was just time to start heading home. And otherwise we were gone. I mean, we were, we were way out there, miles away mm -hmm. out there and we were building forts and we were, mm -hmm. we were making up our own worlds and our own adventures the way that these kids are. And I think because of, uh, for a lot of reasons, we don't have those kind of spaces, as many of those spaces for kids. We, we, we helicopter a lot more. We overschedule. You know, we make sure that the kids are busy all the time and that they don't have time to go and explore and to build and, 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 and that sort of thing. And I love that about this book. But more than that, this book is about, is about what, what, what is art uh, and, and, and what does it mean to be creative and and, and art is not always drawing a, a perfect picture or, or writing a novel. Uh, art can, is any kind of expression. Uh, and there, there's something that said in the book that really moved me, um, like a, an uncle of the boy, the boy's really struggling because he feels like nobody understands him. He's an introvert. He's the guy who's always sitting on the edge of, of the world. And, and he feels like people keep telling him, go make friends, go talk to people. And he's like, but I'm, I'm okay where I'm at. Like, I'm not sad. Like, a, like he's laying in the in his floor one night, staring at the ceiling, and his mom comes in and is like, "Turn on the light. You've got to." Oh my gosh, you're so sad. And he's like, "No, I was just having the most amazing, like I was thinking about the cool things. You know, like I was lost in my own thoughts, and it was great." And he doesn't. Nobody understands him. And his uncle says something about how that that an artist is a person who sees something unique in the world, sees the world in a way that nobody else does. And then through their art, finds a way to show other people that unique vision. And I love that. And I, I haven't read a book in a long time for adults or for kids that really tackles what art is and the, the way that it's, you know, we always make that joke. I don't know, I don't know if it's art, but I like it, you know, or, you know, where I'll tell you it's art when I see it. And, and, I, and I think that it's so hard to define what art is, is for adults, but it's especially hard for kids. And, and it, it's, a, it's a really thoughtful book uh, it, and, it, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't fall into a lot of the same tropes or the same, uh, uh, I, I found it surprising mm -hmm. and delightful and, and, and really thoughtful. I think that was my favorite book of the year so far. I've read a lot of really great ones, um, but I, here in the real world, Sarah Pennypacker. That's great, that's great. Well, Alan, I wanna thank you again for coming back and joining me. Uh, Ground Zero, your newest book, I really enjoyed it. I think uh, it's really going to open up this period of time, both uh, in the past and, and what's going on right now to a lot of kids. 
And I wish you in this book all the best. Thanks, Brock. I appreciate it. It's great to be back. Uh, maybe three years from now, we'll come back and we'll say, Alan, did you expect Round Zero to be such a huge monster hit? Right? This is their pattern now. This is, this is going to make it. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. <laughs> Thanks a lot. And that does it for this episode. I'm going to thank Alan for joining me. Again, his newest, Ground Zero, uh, is a great book. Uh, perfect to try to explain the situation to a middle grader that you might have. It was something that I enjoyed reading and was glad to uh, get the chance to. Hope you also check out some of our other great episodes, uh, both in our past with some interviews that we've already had with some great authors and in the future that we have coming down the line. I'm Brock Shelley. And until next time, keep reading.